Well, good morning, church. We're really excited to be here with you all again. Another Sunday morning to open God's Word. And today, specifically, we have the opportunity of going back to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 now as we take in two weeks off to celebrate Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday together in specific texts outside of our normal series. But today we are back at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11. So I want to encourage you and invite you to open your Bible with me. And today we have a special message out of this text titled, A Concern for Faithfulness. A Concern for Faithfulness. And if there is something that we need today as a church is our faithfulness. In fact, the Lord requires it of us, our faithfulness, even in the moment or in the season of the trial, that we would remain faithful consistently. It's been so amazing to see how the church has really locked shields together in arms and talents and gifts and, and resources, and your giving has made it possible for the Word of God to continue to go out faithfully because together as a church, we've come together. And I, I was just so blessed to see how we're praying together in the Zoom prayer meetings and even the youth. I've heard so many praise reports of the youth that came on board to that Zoom youth Bible study and to be blessed by it. And then the women's devotional studies that they've been having. So we encourage you, stay plugged in because there is a concern for faithfulness. A concern for faithfulness. Why don't we start off here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and... Two weeks ago, we left off where Paul is speaking to the church of Corinth. And this is a letter of encouragement. And if you notice here throughout this entire letter of encouragement as Paul is speaking to the church, that he's proving now or he's defending his integrity. And he finished telling us in chapter 10 that it is not a man that approves himself that matters. But it is what the Lord says or how God approves that man which matters. In fact, he tells us in verse 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says it like this. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he, it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And we see here out of the chapter 10 going into chapter 11 that what Paul is saying it is the Lord who validates, it is the Lord who approves, and that we as a church must let the Holy Spirit measure us by the Word of God. There are so many opinions taking place right now as to how we can measure oneself. You can measure yourself by what the world says. You can measure yourself by what people think or what you think, a, a preconceived notion or idea of how to measure yourself. But in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 now, Paul is talking about how we must be ready to be approved in the sight and in the eyes of God. Because nothing else matters more than what the Lord thinks of us. Nothing matters more than what the Lord now sees and how we are in His sight. And as He's defending His integrity, He's validating now that He is a true apostle. 
Because at this time, there was false apostles, there was false teachings, just like in our time, there's so many false teachings. There is deception that is taking place in our world around us, and you, you see the messages taking place in, through social media, through the internet, you turn on the TV, there's messages that are taking place all the time here. But now Paul, as he's saying goodbye, at the end of this letter of 2 Corinthians, as he's giving his farewell, notice this, as he's beginning now to close this letter, he wants to make sure that they know that he is going to protect the church from deception. Because Satan wants to corrupt the church. Satan wants to corrupt the gospel. Satan is interested in, in, in really coming in and dividing the church. But Paul here is going to leave them with two chapters of a farewell with a warning now. Because he's interested in their spiritual condition of the Corinthians. And I think that today, more than ever, we must be interested with our spiritual condition. Because if there was ever a time where the enemy wanted to come and to corrupt the church and corrupt the gospel and to give us a false gospel or a false sense of security, it's today. And he's going to tell us through three major themes as to how he's concerned for faithfulness. What does it mean to be concerned for faithfulness? Well, number one, he's going to tell us that he's concerned for the Corinthians with a godly jealousy. Write that down, church. A godly jealousy. I want to find out what that means. What does it mean to have a godly jealousy for the church? But then he also says that he's concerned for their faithfulness because he has a sincere ministry. A sincere ministry. And then finally, he also tells the church that he has also a consistent way. So what is it that Paul, as a leader, that he possesses and when it comes to the Corinthians? Well, number one is a godly jealousy for the Corinthians, a sincere ministry for the Corinthians, and a consistent way, number three, as how he does ministry now and how he carries himself in his integrity. Because his number one concern is that the church would remain pure and that the church would remain holy. And that's exactly what we, would, we should want today. That even amongst all the different teachings that are taking place right now and, and the different ideas and the different uh, opinions and the politics that are coming up, that we would be those that are founded on the Word of God and that alone and nothing else. Because there are many opinions that are going to sound okay, that are going to sound attractive, that might maybe even pull us in, that are going to be entertaining now. But are they the truth? And he wants to teach them to be able to discern between what is true and what is false, but we, between what is real and what is fake. <laughs> I know that for you and for me, there would be, be nothing amusing or nothing pleasing about receiving a gift and then finding out that it's fake. <laughs> You want to receive the real. You want to receive what's true. You want to receive that which is authentic. And here he's going to tell them to appreciate what's authentic in the church, what is real, what comes from God, and to keep themselves pure. How? With a godly jealousy, with a sincere ministry, and by a consistent way. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, Oh, that you would bear with me a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, he tells them in verse 2. For I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste virgin 
to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he comes, he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, he tells them, whom you have not received, or a different gospel here, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that we would learn. That we would learn, Lord, what it means to be a pure and holy church. That we would keep ourselves faithful to you. That we would keep ourselves pure to you, Lord. We thank you for this warning, for this exhortation from Paul. We ask, Lord, that even through this time, we would be encouraged to stay in the truth. In Jesus' name. And together we said, wherever you're from, wherever you're at right now, we say amen. It says here now in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. Indeed, you do bear with me. Now, he's going to start this chapter now as he's transitioned from a place of telling them, it is not man that approves of himself. It is God that approves of that man. It is not what you have to say about self that matters. It is what God says about you that really matters. But he's telling them, just bear with me a little folly. Just have a little patience with me here. And he's being a little sarcastic now, Paul, because he's telling them, listen to me as I'm going to speak about myself now. And I want you to give me permission to do this without sounding prideful, without sounding self-promoting now, with a sincere mind. He, he needs to tell them this, because he just encouraged them. To not, it's not what you say about self, but here now he's going to pause to speak now about his own ministry and show how he has a godly jealousy for them. In fact, he has to pause and tell them this. He doesn't want to sound like he's bragging or anything, but he's saying this, this warning that I'm about to give you is from a position of love. It's not from a position of pride. Therefore, I'm going to remind you my heart for you. There's nothing more beautiful than when you are reminded on how much someone cares for you. You're reminded how much someone loves you. You're reminded so, how, how someone just really thinks about you. And here he's going to tell them, this is why I need to speak about myself. In fact, in verse 2 it says this, For I am jealous for you. I want you to now circle the word for you. Because this is very different from I'm jealous of you. <laughs> He doesn't say, I'm jealous of you. He says, I'm jealous for you. There's a difference here. You see, it's not the jealousy that we think about in our human nature where our jealousy can be an ugly jealousy. It can be a selfish jealousy. No, this is a different type of jealousy. And he says, I'm, I'm jealous now for you. But how is it that he's jealous for them here? With a godly jealousy. Not with a selfish jealousy. But with a godly jealousy here, he tells us in verse 2, For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He's telling them his heart for them. He's speaking about how he was a spiritual father to them. How he raised them in the Lord. 
And he says, I want you to know that I'm going to give you a warning, but it's because I'm jealous for you, and it's with a godly jealousy. Now, this godly jealousy is, is as God is jealous now for you as well. Did you know that God is jealous for you? God is jealous for His people. God is jealous even for His holy name. God is jealous for His people's loyalty. You see, this jealousy that, that we know about when we talk about go a godly jealousy or the jealousy of God is a protective jealousy. It's not so much a possessive jealousy as it is a protective jealousy. In fact, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we remember now that the Lord told Moses, as He wanted him to tell others in the nation of Israel, He says this, You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me. God is a jealous God. He is protective over His relationship with you. And that's exactly what He wants to teach them, to remind them. In Ezekiel 39, verse 25, it says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will bring you back the captives of Jacob. Speaking, He will free them from the bondage of Babylon. In Ezekiel, it says this, And have mercy on the whole house of Israel. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show grace, the Lord is saying here through the prophet Ezekiel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. You see, this godly jealousy means this, burdened with another's welfare. You see how it's not possessive? In fact, it's protective now. And this godly jealousy means this, that he is burdened now with their welfare. And he wants them to realize that, that he wants them to fulfill God's purpose in their heart, that he cares about their relationship with the Lord, that he's passionate about them knowing Jesus personally. He's passionate about their devotion with the Lord. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He wants them to experience a full relationship with the Lord and He can express it in only this way, a godly jealousy. Do you see how concerned He is about their spiritual state? In fact, it, He's so concerned that He has to call it a godly jealousy. Ellen Radpath says this, A God's jealousy, He says, therefore is a concern for holiness integrity, purity of ethics, and of Christian standards for His people. Because of this, He will refuse to brook a rival in our affections for Him, not because of a selfish greed which He wishes for all of us to be His own possession, but simply because He knows that His great purpose for us of purity and holiness of life depends upon our personal surrender and submission to His purpose. Now, do you see how a godly jealousy is speaking about holiness and loyalty and relationship and purity? That's the kind of godly jealousy that God has for us. In fact, it's life-giving, that godly jealousy. That godly jealousy was expressed at the cross when the Lord Jesus went to the cross to win back your love from the state of rebellion to win back our love from the state of sin. He wants to be your Lord. He's either going to be Lord of all or not Lord of all at all. Do you see that? 
He is jealous. He wants everything. He wants all of you. He is protective over his relationship with you. And that is the character of God. That he refuses to accept any rivals, any possibilities or affections that would compete now with your relationship and with your loyalty, with your faithfulness to him. He wants to be master. He wants to be supreme. God is jealous for you. And so likewise, here Paul is saying, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. He's opening up his heart. And he's saying, I, I just want to be honest. I just care for you so much. I just want you to meet Jesus. I, I just want you to have just this faithful relationship with, with him. I want him to be Lord over your entire life. I'm jealous for you. With a godly jealousy. At the end of verse 2, he tells them why. Because of this. I'm godly, I have a, a godly jealousy because I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is the reason why he had a godly jealousy for them. Because he, as a spiritual father, betrothed them, the Corinthians, over to the Lord already. Now this is a beautiful picture in verse 2 of a wedding. You see, in their culture, in Greek culture, they would practice arranged weddings. And the betrothal, betrothal now process was a process in which the parents now of the groom and the bride would make an arrangement now for them to be married. Not only was it an arrangement just for them to be married, but it was a promise now for them to be married. And this promise was stronger than engagement. It was not the engagement that we know of where, where people get engaged and then they break that engagement. It wasn't like that. In fact, it was a pure engagement. Uh, it, was, it was an engagement now where it was filled with holiness. It was filled with commitment. In fact, if you broke this promise and this commitment in the betrothal process, it was considered almost as of adultery. Notice that. That's how important this now engagement or betrothal was. And it tells us this in verse 2. It says, I have betrothed you, notice this, to one husband. One husband. I have committed you over to one. It hasn't been to two or to three or to many or to different, to one husband. Why does he speak about one husband? Because one husband here speaks about the commitment or the faithfulness now that that bride had to this groom, to this man. It was a betrothal process. In fact, let me tell you a little bit more about the betrothal process because if you study the definition of what that means, it's almost like a whisper or a word of commitment now. Just imagine that. The bride comes and she gets a whisper or a word of commitment. A whisper or a word of commitment. What is the whisper of the word of commitment? To be committed to the Lord. That's what it means. To be separated now, to be reserved now for the purpose now of the Lord. You have been reserved now for one purpose, and that purpose is for the Lord. It's for one husband. You are committed to one person. You are to stay faithful. That's why he has a godly jealousy. But not only does it say that, it says to one husband that I may present you. I, I want to present you to that husband as a chaste virgin to Christ. Notice the word chase. What does it mean? For first he told us betrothed, which means a whisper or a word of commitment. 
And then he goes on and he tells us to one husband, which means a commitment and a faithfulness only to one, and that's to the Lord. But then he says a chaste virgin. The word chaste means, and I want you to write this down, church, it means pure, holy, clear, immaculate, now church, chaste. Like a virgin that has not been now uh, ever in, in any type of sexual relationship. I want you to be pure now. I want you to display a sense of purity as a church. That you are clear, that you're immaculate, that you have remained pure and holy. He is protective over their holiness. There's something that we need to protect today is our holiness. Are you protecting the holiness in your life? He said, I have a godly jealousy. I have a... A heart for you, church, Corinthians. And as you begin to say farewell in my letter, I want to warn you because I love you. And because I've already promised you over to the Lord. And it is my responsibility as I've promised you over to the Lord to present you to Himself, only to one, to present you faithful, to present you committed, to present you pure, to present you holy, to present you immaculate from the world, to keep yourself holy from the world over to God, be separated, chaste as a bride, reserved, look what it says in verse 2, reserving as a bride here, as a virgin to who? Reserved, belonging to Christ. Now this is something that we must write down. This is something that we must remember. That we are a bride. We are the bride of Christ. In, Roman, in Revelation 19 verse 7, it says that, that the bride of Christ is going to meet the Lord Christ in heaven. And we are called the bride of Christ. We're going to be dressed in white linen. And, 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 and the, the, the Bible talks about this beautiful ceremony as the church will be reunited now to the Lord face to face. And that's the picture that He's giving us. He's giving us a picture of marriage. He's giving us a picture of purity. He's giving us a picture of holiness and of commitment. And He's telling us this, I, I want you to be holy to the Lord. Separate to the Lord. Because anytime we give our hearts to anything else or anything other than God, we are committed in some way a spiritual adultery. So He says, I, I don't want you to give yourself over to anything. To the world or to people or to things. or I don't want there to be any type of love that competes with the love of God. In fact, I've already committed you over to someone. You're engaged. You have no business entertaining other things that are maybe consuming your loyalty. They're consuming and competing with your faithfulness and with your love. You are called to be chaste, holy, pure, and clean. And His motivation here for the church is that they would be pure and that they would be faithful. Now write that down, church, because that's something that we need to memorize that we would be pure and that we would be faithful in our spiritual relationship with the Lord. And that is God's desire for His church as well, that the church would be pure and the church would be faithful. Do you remember in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, where Paul is telling the husbands now on how they ought to present their wives unto now the Lord? And how the design of what the bride ought to look like, God's design for the bride and he uses marriage, an earthly marriage, to describe how he wants the church to be. It's in a very pure way. He says, Ephesians 5.26, that he might, the husband might, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing by the water of the word, that he may present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
What is God's purpose for the church? That they, the church would be holy, without blemish, uncorrupted, undefiled now. And Paul is talking to us about this because he knows that false prophets will come after him with deception to try to take over the church. And he wants them to be serious about their commitment to the Lord and remain pure and remain unadulterated. Why does, he, why does he bring up this entire thing in two verses about godly jealousy and chaste and betrothed and committed and reserved over to someone because he knows that someone is going to come and try to pull them away from their commitment? And I want you to pay attention to that. Because there's going to be things that are going to come and try to pull us away from our commitment. We've already been reserved over to the Lord. And we're called to be pure and holy from sin. As we've been reserved from the Lord here, we ought to protect the purity and the holiness in our life. Paul is saying, and he's speaking to the church here, he's telling them this because he has a fear now when it comes to that godly jealousy. You see that the godly jealousy came in a, in a form of protection over them? Not only was it a form of protection over, over them, but he also had a fear that was followed by that godly jealousy. Well, let's look at verse 3 and find out what he was fearful of. He has to exhort them to remain holy, separated, because he's fearful of something. Because there is a danger now. There's a danger of something. Here's the danger, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as a, the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Now notice that. What is his fear? His fear is that deception would come into the church. And deception is coming into the church. You, you turn on a message now, and you don't know if it's... You have to be able to realize whether that is sound doctrine, whether, whether that is true, or that, whether that is false. Because just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's founded on true doctrine. That's why we have to learn discernment now. And ask the Lord, Lord, give me discernment through your Holy Spirit, that I may know the difference between the real and what is false. And He says, I am fearing now that the enemy would come in, just like He came into Eve at the Garden of Eden. At the Garden of Eden, what did the serpent do? He deceived. Underline that word right there in your Bible, deception. Deceived. How did the, the serpent deceive now Eve? He, he tricked her, the serpent. And that's how the enemy works. The enemy wants to deceive. The enemy wants to trick. From the first moment of sin, from the first moment of deception, it was through trickery. Did you notice that what the enemy said? What, how did he deceive Eve? By distorting the word of God. And that's how the enemy comes to deceive as a serpent. He will change the word of God and say, well, the Lord didn't really say this. He really meant this in his word. He didn't really say that you couldn't compromise or that he didn't want you to remain holy. That is deception, which leads to compromise. Deception always leads to compromise. And, he, and one of the greatest tools the enemy will use is deception, which God hates. God hates deception. In Proverbs 11 verse 1, it tells us this, Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. God loves just weights. God loves the truth. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He hates lies. He hates deceptions. But here in verse 3, Paul is saying, I fear that your minds are going to be corrupted with deception." That's why we have to protect our minds. Because the moment that our mind is corrupted with deception, so our lives would follow and be corrupted and no longer be pure and holy. 
And this is why he's telling them this in, in this very verse 3. I fear that you're going to be deceived by the craftiness now of the serpent. And that you're going to be deceived by the enemy here. Just like you know Eve was. And you're going to have a corrupted mind. A corrupted mind from what? From the simplicity that is in Christ. From the simplicity that is in Christ. That is his fear. That their minds would be corrupted. Why the mind? Because the mind ought to be pure. The mind is called to be undivided. He wants them to have an undivided mind. A mind that is fully now concentrated and focused on the Lord. A mind that has the attention onto Jesus. A mind that is fully now concentrated. Because when they lose that, they've lost something here. The simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity that is in Christ. And this simplicity that is in Christ, he wants us to understand what does it mean. These false teachers would come in and, and give them a different gospel. But the simplicity that is in Christ is a humble nature. They rejected the humble nature. They said, well, you know what, Paul? We don't, we don't really trust you. You're not like the other apostles. You, you know, look, at you come in such a humble, lowly way. You don't even want to get paid. They're, they're going to tell them. And the simplicity that is in Christ is, number one, a humble nature. Write that down. What is the simplicity in Christ? It's a humble nature. It's not just uh, the apostolic credentials. It's not what you think of yourself that, that is the simplicity of Christ. Here Paul was under attack. And not, not his simplicity was an attack alone. But the nature of Christ was under attack as well. Because the nature of Christ is simplistic. It is humble now. You know the one thing that will end simplicity? The one thing that will end simplicity is a divided loyalty. And he didn't want their loyalty to be divided. He wanted their mind to be divided. He wanted their mind to be only loyal to the Lord. The moment your mind is divided, you've lost the simplicity in Christ. You know what the simplicity in Christ also tells us? It tells us the truth about who Christ is. The simplicity in Christ says that our faith is to look to Christ is to look to Christ that is crucified, to look to Christ that is risen exclusively as the only source of salvation for our life. It's not Christ and something else. You see, the simplicity of Christ, it's only Jesus. It's only the cross of Christ. It's not Christ and works or rituals or ceremonies or, or, or maybe a church or a denomination. The simplicity of Christ means it's Christ Him crucified him risen, Him glorified, Him coming again. And our faith that looks exclusively only at Him, centered on Jesus alone, and our love that is clear now from any other thing but Jesus alone. That is the simplicity in Christ. Because He knew that the false apostles would come and try to divide their loyalty. And it's, they're going to say, you know what? Well, it's Christ and something else. No, He wants them to know it is Christ in Christ alone. But the simplicity in Christ also means, number three, obedience. Obedience to Him alone. And, and, and this is not any type of obedience, but it means an unreserved obedience. That anything short of this is unworthy of the cross. The simplicity in Christ means that I am fully focused on the fact that God died for me. He is jealous for me. And because of that, He demands my obedience. 
He demands that I die to self to live for Him, that I rest only on Him. It is a simplicity that it is Jesus alone and His finished work on the cross and that we should never move beyond the surrender and the simplicity and the obedience of taking the cross and following Jesus. That is the simplicity. And do you see now why He's telling them, you know what, I need to tell you something. I'm jealous for you because you've been reserved for the Lord. And I want you to remain your loyalty to Him. I don't want you to have a divided loyalty. Because when you have a divided loyalty, your mind will be corrupted. And you'll be corrupted to the ideas of the world, to the morals of the world, to the worldview of the world, instead of having a worldview of the cross. Everything that we look at, everything that we think about, everything that we stand for should stand right there at the cross. And if there are any principles or anything that we are standing for or morals or values that are outside of the cross, then we have to ask ourselves, Lord, how did I get here? Have I lost the simplicity that it is only Jesus? Do I think that I need anything else now? The simplicity in Christ reminds you that you are in and of yourself not enough before the Lord without Christ. And we need a simplicity in Christ. Because there are times when we think that we're enough. We are not enough without the Lord. We need Jesus and He's telling them this. I, I want you to remember this, that, that, that you wouldn't move away from this and believe something else. Notice verse 4. What is He going to tell them this? As He doesn't want them to move away from the simplicity in Christ. Verse 4. For if He who comes preaches, someone will come and they will preach another Jesus. Whom we have not preached. You see, there are people that are coming with different now messages. With another Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And that's what we have to ask the Lord. Lord, I want to be so soaked into your word that I know that I'm not suffering from lack of discernment now. And I understand who the real Jesus is. The Jesus of the Bible. And I can stand on the cross of Christ and the simplicity that is in Christ. And I'll never be deceived. There's so many people that are being deceived. Someone knocks in front of your door. Are you, do you believe everything that they tell you? Or have you left the simplicity? Or are you rooted in the simplicity in Christ? That you know one thing. That there is not another Jesus. But the Jesus of the Bible. Look what he tells them. And he gives them a, 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 a few examples. There's going to be some that are going to come with a different Jesus. A Jesus that was crucified. But that never rose again. You see how that's twisted? You see how that is changed? That that is different. In fact, it tells us this, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received. Maybe someone's going to come with a different spirit. What kind of spirit? The spirit of fear instead of the spirit of faith. They'll come with the spirit of bondage instead of with the spirit of freedom. Do not receive that type of spirit. God hasn't called you to a spirit of bondage. He has called you to a spirit of freedom. Notice what he says there. Which you have not received or a different gospel. A different Jesus that didn't rise from the dead. A different spirit that is a spirit of fear and of bondage. That is not of the Lord. Or a different gospel. What is a different gospel? It's a gospel that is centered on the law and not on grace. It's a gospel that is centered on works and not on faith. That is a different gospel. Just think about that. Maybe someone comes with a different gospel, which you have not accepted. You may well put up with it. 
There are going to be times and opportunities or, 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 or season when someone's going to come with a different Jesus or a different spirit or a different gospel. And I just pray, Paul is saying, that you don't put up with that. That you don't receive it. That you don't tolerate it. I'm going to ask you, do you just tolerate anything that comes into your life? Anything that wants to speak into your mind, that wants to speak into your soul? We have to be careful what you listen to and what you accept. What kind of teachings do you let come into your mind? Maybe some that would corrupt now the faith and the trust in God. Are we straying away from the truth because we are allowing anything to come into our mind? He wanted them to know the difference between what is true and what is false so that they can be on guard. So they don't accept something different, another, another teaching, so that they don't get their eyes off of the Lord. You know what happens when you get your eyes off of the Lord because of a different teaching? Or you get your eyes off of the Lord because of just different things that you're hearing in the world. Because you, you, you heard a nice little story that maybe is entertaining and you got your eyes off the Lord. You lost the simplicity of Christ. You stopped following the Lord in the cross. You stopped carrying the cross. That fills your mind with doubt. It fills your mind with fear. It fills your mind with insecurity. It fills your mind with deception. And then you no longer are following Christ. You're pulled away with Him with all the lies of the world. He wanted to protect him from being pulled away with lies. Because if somebody comes with a different gospel, with a different spirit, with a different Jesus, know this, they're not sent from God. They are not sent from God. And you ought to be able to know how to judge that. We're not called to condemn people. We are called to judge between what is the truth of God's word and what is false from the enemy. And this is what he's telling them because he wants them to be protected from deception. Now let's read here verse 4 and 5 as he says here now because in verse 5 he's going to talk about these apostles now. And he's going to tell them how he had a sincere ministry. After telling them how he wants to protect them he wants to say you know what I have a sincere ministry and he's going to give them a contrast between the false apostles and who himself how he carried his ministry. Don't get your eyes off the Lord. You're holy. You're separated. But he says here, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. I'm not inferior. I'm not less than those super apostles or than the apostles that are popular, than the apostles that are coming, or even than false teachers. You guys think that I'm less than these false teachers, but I, I'm not just because I'm not promoting myself uh, I, because those men want the others to follow them. I want others to follow Christ. And do you notice the pattern of his ministry that that is so sincere? In fact, in verse 6, he tells them this, even though I am untrained in speech, even though maybe I can't speak the way they can, even though I'm untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Listen, I, I might not be able to speak the way they speak, but I am not untrained when it comes to knowledge. I know the truth. I might not be a skilled or impressive or an entertaining. I might not sound the way appealing like the others sound, but I'm giving you the truth. And that's what really matters. I'm not lacking when it comes to the knowledge of truth. I've thoroughly manifested among you. I have made it clear. I've been transparent with you in all things. I gave you myself sacrificially. You see, in Paul's day, the, the, the more eloquent you sounded in the way you spoke they they thought of you as something bigger he said well i might not 
speak that way, but know this, I have a sincere heart, and I know the truth. And I know the truth. And, I, and one of the things that we have to notice and that we have to remember is that Paul, he never sacrificed the truth in the name of unity. And there are some times that we want to sacrifice the truth in the name of unity. And Paul is saying, I will never sacrifice the truth just to be united with those that don't know the truth, that are false apostles. Because he knew that God had made him now an effective communicator for the gospel, not because of how he spoke, but because of what he gave them, the truth. Are you concerned more about the truth or are you more concerned about how it's packaged? I think nowadays we're concerned about how everything looks and entertainment on production and how it looks to the eye that we no longer are now attracted to the truth. And that's the fastest way of being deceived. Because the enemy will come and he will come with something that is crafty, something that looks good, something that is appealing to your eye and to your flesh and says, I want you to put your attention on this. Now Paul is saying, you know what, I might not be like them, but I'm giving you the truth. And I, and I really pray that today that we would understand one thing. That we would truly know one thing here. And is that we ought to be like how Paul is described already. A chaste church that is betrothed now to the groom. One that is fully focused on the Lord with an undivided loyalty to Him. That we would fully say, O oh Lord, I don't want my loyalty to be split. I want to be fully focused on you. And I don't want to get my eyes off of anything. Why? Because that's exactly how we remain faithful. How we remain faithful. And this is the, his concern. A faithfulness to the church. Can we go ahead and pray right now and ask the Lord that he would give us a faithfulness to holiness? That we would have a faithfulness to holiness today? Why don't we go ahead and pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. And we thank you, Jesus, because you're jealous for us. And I pray that we would realize how much you love us. I would pray that we would, Lord, realize that godly jealousy that is so life-giving but a godly jealousy that compels us to holiness. A godly jealousy that compels us to faithfulness. A godly jealousy that compels us to loyalty, Lord. We thank you here because Paul is demonstrating to us, Lord, what it means to be faithful and committed to you and not be divided to anything else. I pray that with our mind, that our mind would never be corrupted, Lord with deception, Lord, accepting something that is not from You. Lord, if there are thoughts that are coming in our mind or, or things that are coming into cloud our mind, Lord, I pray that we would expel those thoughts. They would rebuke those thoughts because those are the lies from the enemy. And that we'd be fully focused on You and Your truth, God. Lord, give us the strength to remain faithful. As you've already called us to be reserved unto you. And we pray this, Lord, in your name, in Jesus' name. And together we'd say...